This episode is sponsored by the newly released South African action movie Indemnity. When a traumatized ex-firefighter in Cape Town wakes up next to his wife's murdered body with no recollection of what transpired, he finds himself labeled as the prime suspect. He goes on the run and is soon hunted by a notorious police chief and an unknown third party. He must now fight for his life and find out who killed his wife before a conspiracy changes the course of a nation forever. Starring a proudly South African cast, with Jared Cadult in the lead, who, by the way, did all of his own stunts, every single one. Jared, suspended out of a 21-story window, actually Jared. Starring alongside Jared are Gail Mabalani and Nicole Fortain, in South Africa's biggest action film in terms of action sequences to date. Indemnity releases in cinemas nationwide on the 13th of May and promises to fast become the gem in the South African film industry's action movie crown. A huge thank you goes out to Indemnity for supporting I Live Through This. That was the last that I remember having communication with anybody. My hands and feet were on fire. They would have to prepare themselves for the worst. Try to catch me howling at the The stories told on I Lived Through This are told in good faith by those who experienced them. The views expressed by the survivors in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of me, the podcast, or any sponsor of the show. Some of the stories on this podcast may include triggers for some listeners, including descriptions of injuries, sexual violence, abuse, and other triggering topics. Please consider this when listening to this podcast. I'm Nicole Engelbrecht. You may know me from my other podcasts, True Crime South Africa or the Devil's Dorp Companion podcast. Through my podcast journey in talking to survivors and the family members of victims, I discovered the life-changing power of stories. Stories told from the heart as a narrative of a human being's lived experience, are enormously impactful for both the storyteller and the listener. In my new podcast series, I Lived Through This, I bring you the stories of ordinary South Africans who faced seemingly insurmountable odds and survived to tell you the tale in their own words. From getting trapped in a destructive cult, surviving an abusive relationship, 
living through a natural disaster, life-changing disease, and even a fight for survival with a wild animal. Join me for these powerful tales of facing the unimaginable and fighting to be able to say, I lived through this. This is a Killer Audio Creations production. Let's be honest, at some time or another in our lives, we all take our health for granted, whether it's in our youth, when we're sure we can handle endless nights of alcohol binges and just keep going, or when we're older and continuously prioritize our family's well-being over our own, ignoring the fact that you cannot pour from an empty cup. Shannon Lee Fisser was a married mom of one in her thirties, working, living her life, likely not paying much attention to the daily gift she was given, which we all tend to ignore, of waking up healthy on a daily basis. And then, one moment in time, changed everything, forever. Hi, my name is Shannon Nifasa. I'm also known as Shan. In 2017, I became a quadruple amputee due to septicemia with DIC, which means I didn't just have septicemia, but my blood was clotting and thinning at the same time. What happened was I was at my friend and boss's house at the time, and the bedrooms and living area is separated by a door, and I walk from the bedroom area through to the living area, and her pet mongoose ran up my leg and bit me on the hand. I didn't think much of it. I obviously went and washed it off and used septic soap and stuff like that and carried on with my day. That was on the 15th of January 2017. On the 17th of January 2017 was a normal working day for me. I felt fine. In the afternoon, I had to go to my daughter's parents' teachers' meeting. I drove myself there, and it was during the parent-teachers' meeting, I felt a little bit nauseous and excused myself and went to the bathroom. When I got to the bathroom, I promptly passed out. And when I came around, I thought, no, hold on, I'm not going to go back into the meeting. I'm rather going to try and get myself home because by that stage, I wasn't feeling well at all. When I got to the house, my boss opened the door and said to me, I looked a little bit grey. And by that stage, I was very, very cold. I then got into bed with lots of blankets on me, went to sleep. The next morning, I couldn't get up to take my daughter to school. Thank goodness my my boss's children and my daughter went to school at the same place as she gave her a lift to school. And the morning consisted of me like not really knowing where I was, getting up, throwing up, passing out. And it was around about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I thought, let me try and get myself through to the kitchen and get something to drink. And that was where I collapsed. And thank goodness a colleague found me. She called my boss, who then came to me and said, no, we've we've got to get you to the hospital. Something's not right. The hospital was about 15, 20 minutes away from the house. And it was on the way to the hospital that my hands and feet were on fire, like a pain I've never, ever experienced in my life before. Uh, When I got to the hospital, 
The nurse came because my boss had let her know what was going on. The nurse came and put me in the wheelchair, got me through to casualty. I then was put onto a stretcher. And I said to the, the nurse, my hands and feet are on fire. And she felt them. And she said, no, they ice cold. And that was the last that I remember having communication with anybody. At this point, Shannon Lee is rushed into the ICU. She loses consciousness. And what she relays to us about this time is pieced together from what she was told after she regained consciousness. I went into a, a coma. My lungs, my organs, everything was shutting down. And I was put on life support on a ventilator. Lots and lots of machines keeping me alive. I was being fed through a feeding tube through my nose. I was eventually on the 29th of January brought out of a coma and I was fully out the coma on the 30th of January 2017. Shannon Lee is waking up after 12 days in an induced coma. She has no idea how much time has passed and she has no idea that while she was under, her body had suffered irreversible damage. So while I was in the coma, they were obviously doing plenty of tests to try and figure out what exactly had caused septicemia and what was attacking my body and causing everything to shut down. And unfortunately, they couldn't pinpoint exactly what had caused the bacteria that got into my, my bloodstream. It was just weird that two days before I felt very, very ill, I was bitten by the mongoose. There are about 36 different species of mongooses in the world. Yes, that's the plural, because English is, well, illogical. And I really want to call them mongoose, but never mind that now. Mongooses are carnivorous and are best known for being pretty fierce in the wild and willing to take on and kill venomous snakes and scorpions. Reported mongoose bites are not terribly common, and if you Google bitten by a mongoose, what comes up is predominantly Shan's story. There's one case, though, published in an online medical journal in which a woman in India was bitten by a mongoose and developed symptoms very similar to Shan's. But sadly, that woman did not survive. I've been bitten by a meerkat, and it was painful. But I cleaned it and had no adverse effects. So the reaction that Shan had really was one in a million. So um, the doctors had tried plenty of antibiotics to try and curb this septicemia and try and fight it and eventually my family was called in and was told that if my body didn't start responding to the antibiotics there's nothing more they can really do for me and um, they would have to prepare themselves for the worst. By um, the weekend when I got into hospital my hands, my feet, my nose, the top of my jaw had all gone black and died. And unfortunately, when they brought me out of my coma, that damage was there and that damage couldn't be reversed. According to Healthline.com, septicemia is a serious bloodstream infection. 
It occurs when a bacterial infection enters the bloodstream from somewhere else in the body, such as the skin, lungs, kidneys or bladder. This is dangerous because the bacteria and their toxins can be carried through the bloodstream to your entire body. Septicemia can quickly become life-threatening and it must be treated in a hospital. If left untreated, septicemia can progress to sepsis. Septicemia and sepsis aren't the same thing, although the terms are sometimes used interchangeably. Sepsis is a serious complication of septicemia. Sepsis causes inflammation throughout the body. This inflammation can cause blood clots and block oxygen from reaching vital organs, resulting in organ failure. When the inflammation occurs with extremely low blood pressure, it's called septic shock. Septic shock is fatal in many cases. So although doctors could never verify this for sure, it's very possible that when Shannon Lee was bitten by the mongoose near a joint on her hand, the bacteria from the animal's mouth entered her bloodstream. The possibility of septicemia and sepsis are the reasons that it's vital to never ignore an infection in your body. Even a tooth abscess or a bladder infection can turn deadly if ignored. Some of the symptoms of early septicemia include chills, fever, breathing very fast, and rapid heart rate. One of the later symptoms is reduced blood flow as blood pressure in the body drops dramatically, and this is the reason that Shannon Lee's extremities began to turn black. Her heart was simply not able to pump fast enough to adequately supply her entire body with blood, and it was her hands, feet, nose and lips that suffered oxygen and blood supply deprivation. My body had started responding to the the antibiotics that was around about the 23rd, somewhere around the day of January. And my white blood cell count had started to climb. And now my body just had to do what it's supposed to do and start fighting to, to save me. By the time everything had started working properly, the, the doctors were able to bring me out the coma and um, I still had no idea what had gone on to my body, what I had been through, that I was at like a near-death experience while I was in the coma. When the doctor brought me out of the, the coma, the first thing I heard was, welcome back. And I, I looked around to all these nurses and doctors around me, and I thought, no, hold on, wait, I don't remember going anywhere. So the, the doctor obviously had to wait for me to become a little bit stronger to tell me what had happened because your body goes through such trauma while you're in a coma, obviously, to try and keep yourself alive. Nursing staff and doctors were under strict instructions not to tell Shannon Lee about the damage to her hands, feet and face. Her doctors felt that she needed to be physically stronger before she would be able to deal with the emotional carnage of what was to come. My hands and feet, I can remember, were wrapped up the whole time. I couldn't move. My body was very, very, very sore, and I was very weak, obviously. And I had to have bed baths. And it was during one of the bed baths, I was asking the, the nurses and stuff, you know, why are my hands and feet wrapped up? And they couldn't tell me. And, um, well, not they couldn't. They, they were told not to say anything yet. 
And it was during one of the bed bars, the, the nurses just weren't quick enough to cover my hands up. And I saw that they were completely black and my arms as well. And that was when the nurse called the, the physician and said, she's seen what her hands look like. You're going to have to tell her now what's, what's going on. And the physician came in and explained that I had septicemia with um, septic shock and I had had DIC as well and how I had to try and fight to stay alive while I was in the coma and that unfortunately they weren't able to save my hands and my feet and the only thing that they can do is um, amputate. Amputate. Amputation of the dead areas of flesh on her body was the only way to proceed. At this point, the blackened areas of Shannon Lee's body are useless to her. But more than this, they're a drain and even a threat to her full recovery. Amputation will drastically improve her chances of full recovery. So she's gone from being a completely able-bodied and healthy woman less than two weeks ago to now sitting in a hospital bed barely able to move, and being given a choice. Either we amputate or you may die. The first thing I said was, I've got a daughter that looks up to me, and um, if I give up now, what example am I going to be to her? And I just said, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do. I'm alive for a reason. I've got to fight this thing and I'll be okay. Because it was obviously a shock having to tell me about my hands and my feet and I could see that, they weren't going to then lay on what had happened to my face as well. So they thought, let's get, get her over this first hurdle and through the amputations and then we will break the news about her face. And um, obviously because this isn't something that happens in hospital every single day, there was a lot of nurses that, and doctors that used to come past her. I was in a, a isolated ward room in the in the ICU that had glass windows and doors and stuff. I heard one of the doctors, you know, saying, "Okay, fine, you're going to amputate your hands and her feet. What are you going to do about her face?" And it was then that he realised this lady hasn't been told about her face. What are you going to do about her face? Shannon Lee has just learned she is going to lose her hands, part of her arms, her feet, and part of her legs. Now she hears, that's not all. And that was when the, the doctors in had to come and show me that my nose had died, it had gone all black as well as my lips. I lost the tip of my tongue. I also couldn't you know, understand why I was battling to talk. And I had lost the, the, the top gum as well as eight top teeth would have to be removed. I went, I had a very, very good set of doctors, physiotherapists, occupational therapists around me. I also had to see a speech therapist because I was batting to pronounce words and letters. There was a lot of rehabilitation that was going to have to come after the procedures that I had to have done. On the 6th of February, I then had my legs amputated. Two days later, on the 8th of February, I had my both arms amputated. And um, 
that was that was very very painful having my arms amputated because it was done quite late at night and I didn't go to the recovery room I went straight from the theater to my ICU room and that was where the the nurses who were very very good had to try and get on top of the pain and it was like a wave of pain that used to come like every 15 minutes but they couldn't just pump me full of a whole bunch of painkillers. They had to try and wait for the painkillers to start working and give it a little bit of time. And, yeah, eventually I was, like, sort of put into, like, a a sleep state to try and get over the pain that I was feeling there. It was near the the end of February that uh, the plastic surgeon then came to see me to start with the debridgement of the nose and removal of the lips. He was from a different hospital, so he then was having me transferred from the hospital I was in in ICU to the hospital that he worked in. And from there, it was starting with plastic surgery to rebuild my nose and my face and my lips. And... um, with intensive physiotherapy and occupational therapy every single day while I was in the hospital. Eventually I got to the stage where the procedures were starting to slow down and um, I was able to be transported to a rehabilitation centre where I learned how to do more of the day-to-day tasks, feeding myself, dressing myself, being able to transfer, being a little bit more independent than I could be in hospital where there was a lot more machineries that I I could work on in the the gymnasium there. Uh, um, Every time I needed to go and have an operation done, I would be transferred from the rehabilitation centre back to the hospital where my plastic surgeon was. Once the operation was done, I was in hospital for a couple of days and transported back to to rehab to carry on with the rehabilitation. And then when the doctor said, no, I need to now have a a break, and I had learned to do quite a lot of things, he was ready for, for me to be discharged from hospital. And I had then started to learn how to walk while I was in rehab. I got my legs and uh, the prosthetic guy said to me, right, today we're going to learn how to sit and stand. And I said, hold on, wait. I haven't had my legs for how long? You're going to now turn around and tell me I'm just going to sit and stand. I said, no, you obviously don't know me and know how determined I am. And I looked around the gymnasium and I saw a walker and I asked him to please bring the walker to me. And he helped me up and I did the first few steps and I didn't stop. From there on, it was just walking. And from the time I opened my eyes till the time I went to sleep, I was on my legs practicing, walking up and down stairs, learning how to do things now with these new legs. And I had a week in rehab learning how to walk. And it was on the 6th of July, 2017, that I was discharged from rehab and I could come home. So one thing we haven't touched on here yet is the added complication of the fact that when this happened, Shannon Lee was not in her home province. You see, she was in Port Elizabeth at the time for work. 
her family and her husband, lived in KwaZulu-Natal. With her being so weak, there was no possibility she could be transferred, so she was stuck there until she could be discharged, and because the medical team that knew her case was in PE, every time she had to have an op, she would have to travel back to PE. I then didn't have the walk anymore. I had crutches that I was learning to walk on. And I had those crutches also for about a week and they used to get in the way. And, oh, no, it was quite a thing to to try and manage these new legs and having crutches but not having arm, well, hands to hold the crutches. And I thought, no, let me try and do this walking without crutches. And, yeah, I, I did it. And I was on my legs for about eight months. During that time, I was also in the, back into hospital having procedures done. I then flew back down to um, PE in January 20, 2018 to start the next phase of rebuilding my lips. And um, how they did that was while I was in Durban, I had to have a, a tissue expander put into my thigh. And every week I would go and have saline solution injected into this tissue expander. And what it does is obviously it stretches the skin until I had, uh, was between 350 and 400 moles in the bag under my thigh. So I was walking around with this big bulge in my thigh. Flew down to PE, January 2018, to now have the skin removed from my thigh and lips made out of it. I went into the operation. It was quite a lengthy operation. But uh, and my dad was there every step of the way during that operation. But um, I landed back up in ICU after that operation. And also because my lips, I mean, you talk about duck lips, I had these huge things on my face. And because they were so big, obviously the, the doctor said rather have too much and too little, you can always take away. But to add more onto that would be a difficult task. There was no way for me to breathe. Shannon Lee has just been through a lot, more than many human beings could physically take. And now, the operation to provide her was what we all take for granted when we look in the mirror, smile and talk, our lips, has caused her difficulty in breathing. And to keep her alive, the medical team have to insert a breathing tube into her throat so that a machine can assist her with breathing. So they had to make the decision and ask permission from my dad, because obviously I was under anesthetic, to um, put a trachea in. And that was one of the worst things I have ever, ever had. Waking up being incubated again on this breathing machine. And obviously the first thing you try and do is breathe. And I started panicking because I couldn't breathe through my mouth. And the nurse had to say to me, hold on, you've got a trachea and you're on you incubated, you're on a breathing machine, just relax. As soon as your breathing starts becoming right, we'll be able to take you off the incubator. And I can remember the nurse saying, breathe, Mrs. Visser, breathe. And then I would like fall asleep. And then this breathing machine would start buzzing and everything because obviously I'd stop breathing. 
then the nurse would come to me and say, as soon as you start breathing by yourself, we can take you off this machine. But if you, you keep on going to sleep and not breathing, we're going to have to keep you on this machine longer. And that was so, sort of the kick up the jack saying, okay, breathe. And eventually I was that same day, I was taken off the breathing machine, but I then had this trackie that I had to try and now think of how to breathe through this thing. It was, it was absolutely horrible. And obviously there's a lot of, this sounds disgusting, but a lot of phlegm and um, the nurse has to suction you every like half an hour, hour, and that was also not a lacquer. So trying to navigate breathing, I obviously couldn't eat or drink or anything like that because every time I tried, I would choke. So I spent about a month in ICU there learning how to, to do all of this and then as I, while I was in ICU, my lips, obviously, they, they started shrinking and that and eventually, you know, opening and there was enough space to me for me to be able to breathe through my mouth that the plastic surgeon said, okay, fine, let's take this, this tracky out. Shannon Lee is having to learn to do all of these things again. She can now breathe without the breathing machine, but she can't talk with the trachees still in her throat. So they use one of those machines. The best reference I can give is something like what Stephen Hawking used to speak, which would emit that robotic-sounding voice. But it takes some time to actually learn to use one of those devices. So Shannon Lee has no way of communicating. Just write notes? you say? Sure. Except Shannon Lee's arms and hands have been amputated, remember? But I think by now you've figured out that Shan doesn't take things lying down. So here's what she does. So we'd take um, a white board and I would hold the pen in between my two arms and I would write. That's how I would communicate with people around me, tell them what I needed and all of that. So eventually when they could take the trackie out, I then moved to a normal ward, my normal ward, my home that was before. Once he was happy with how things were starting to heal, I was sent back home and he said it was probably in about March I would come back down and they would revise what they had done and, you know, take it to the next step. But now your body's natural reaction when you have a cut is for it to close. So what was happening was the mouth opening was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking to eventually I couldn't even get a teaspoon in my mouth. And I had to fly back down to PE and you had to cut open the, the corners of my mouth to, to open the opening again. But we just found that every couple of weeks this was happening, the, sh- the mouth opening was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And it was obviously because I was unable to work and relied fully on fundraising, it was getting really, really expensive flying down to PE, flying back and that. So I was then put under the care of a very, very good plastic surgeon here in Durban. 
plan for the very first operation, the plastic surgeon from PE flew up to Durban and under the two plastic surgeons, they then saw what they could do. And um, yeah, the plastic surgeon in PE carried on with, with the opening of the mouth and putting tissue in that there to try and keep the mouth open. So thank goodness today my opening is quite good. I don't, the opening is not huge, but it is, is quite good. The next stage was having to um, remove the teeth and the top part of the jaw, which was done here in Durban from maxillofacial. And that was also a very, very big operation. I ended up in, in ICU again. Fortunately, with all of this going on, my veins had disappeared and I found myself waking up twice on the operating table. And um, plastic surgeon said, no, we can't have this happen again. I then had to have a procedure done where I had a chemo port put directly into the vein underneath my chest on the right-hand side so that whenever they need to access a vein, it's not a battle of trying to find a vein. They just use a special needle straight in there. While they were putting that in, my luck, I ended up with a punctured lung and that was why I ended up back in ICU and, um, yeah, having to... uh, have this tube at my side because my lung had been punctured. So, yeah, it was just seemed to be one thing after the other, but uh, I would just remain positive. Shannon Lee had had a special experience early on in her fight to live, and it was something she would hold on to throughout all the ups and downs of her recovery. In the very, very first operation I went for with my, my legs, Go into to have an operation done. You don't normally sit up and look around you and check what's going on. And while I was in the operating room waiting for them to do their things, something kept on saying, sit up and look behind you, sit up and look behind you. And as I looked behind me, I saw a cross on the door. And I knew there and then that my God was with me, that it was a sign that he would be with me every step of the way. And... um that it didn't matter what was put in front of me, I would get through it. So that with my positive energy, the positive people I, I had around me was what got me through this. And the fact that I had a daughter that looked up to me and I couldn't give up for, for her. So that's what got me through all my operations and kept me positive. Also, another thing, unfortunately, with everything I'd gone through, all the antibiotics, all the operations and all that stuff, I started becoming allergic to the liners that my legs, what you do is with prosthetic legs is you first put a liner onto your skin and then the prosthetic goes over that liner. I became very allergic to the liner and um, couldn't use my legs anymore. So from going from walking a normal, able-bodied person to having your legs taken away, to going to rehab, learning how to do everything again. Walking the very first day, I got my prosthetic legs to walking for like eight months on them. Now to being told that, unfortunately, your legs are allergic to your liners, not being able to walk again. Shannon Lee had essentially had her legs taken away from her a second time. The allergy she developed to the liners required to comfortably wear the prosthetics was so severe that she could no longer wear them. 
she would have to be wheelchair-bound and dependent on others. The prosthetic guy here in Durban said that also it's a bit difficult because the, the part of my leg underneath my knee that's left is very, very short. They didn't know what else to do to get me back onto my legs on top of me having this allergic reaction to the liner that I would let my legs recover for a week or so, put my, my liners back on, walk around by that evening, rash back again. And yeah, it's, it was not, not a very nice experience. So he said, the only other thing we can do is there's an operation that's done overseas a lot with the war veterans and in America and Australia called osseointegration. And what this entails is putting a titanium rod into the existing bone in your leg and then the prosthetic is attached to that. So there's no invasive liner or anything going onto the skin. He said, but the only thing is it hasn't been done in South Africa through medical aid yet. So let's we'll send you down to Cape Town for the presentation, get looked over by the, the orthopedic surgeon who would be assisting in the operation at Stellenbosch, see if you are eligible. So I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose, have I? It's either going to be a yes or I'm going to be in the situation that I am now. But I really, I wanted to gain my independence back, get out my wheelchair and get back onto my feet again. End of January 2019, I flew down to, to Cape Town for the Aussie integration presentation. And I'll, oh, it was very, very interesting, the facts and all that stuff and how these people, they, they start waiting weight bearing the very same day and yeah the the mobility that they have with these prosthetics is absolutely amazing and then it was of the presentation going to the the rooms and um the the guy said yes of course you are you're a candidate for this operation but our next hurdle is getting it through medical aid Osteointegration, also known as osseointegration, was first developed in the 1950s when scientists realised that they could get bone cells to fuse directly with the surface of metals, especially titanium, which the body is less likely to reject. The process has been successfully used in dental and other facial implants for a long time and is now used in amputees, to essentially produce a prosthesis that is directly attached to the skeleton without any form of tissue in between. Not everyone is a candidate for osteointegration, but Shannon Lee is. So then it was a start of writing motivational letters through to medical aid because medical aid had been very, very good to me up until this point. They had covered all the operations. Look, there was a little bit here and there that they didn't cover, but all the operations and all that stuff they had, you know, covered. So they did all their statistics, sent through um, the doctor from, the surgeon from Australia would fly out to Cape Town to do the operation, the success rate of his operations, all the motivation of, the, the costs and how after five years medical aid would get back their payments because with normal prosthetics, your sh the shape of your leg changes all the time. So like every six to 12 months, you've got to go have your legs recast and 
the the socket remade. So oh. basically, at the end of five years, medical aid would have reaped their, their cost back. So it was a year backwards and forwards, more motivation, more answering questions. Um, yeah, last year, June, they came back and said, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to authorise this procedure. They don't know what the success rate is. And if I ever wanted to walk again, it was I had to raise my own funds. So this really isn't an uncommon way for medical aids to look at things. And it's short-sighted. Yes, the success rate is not 100% guaranteed, but no medical procedure is. As Shan says, they would actually be saving in the long run. But they'd made their decision, and her hope for a medical aid-funded osteointegration was dashed. But Shan had decided that wasn't going to stop her. That was a, a very hard knock, very, very disheartening, because I was just waiting for this, this phone call to say, Mrs. Bissar, you've approved the operation, off you go going to get back on your legs again and yeah I phoned the prosthetic guy and I, I, I cried so hard and he said he doesn't understand because we've given them so much information and motivation and all that and yeah the only way that I can do it is is through fundraising and um, that's that's my next step is is trying to raise the money to be able to get back on my feet again while still having reconstructive surgery. To date, I've had 69 procedures in four years. My last operation was on the 30th of April, quite a big operation where they had to put titanium and that in my mouth and I had skin grafts done. I've got about 20 more to go. I've still got to have my teeth implants done and Unfortunately, the, the nose that they rebuilt from a piece of rib and um, skin grafts and all that, because they had to take the teeth away and quite a bit of my top jaw, my nose collapsed. So as soon as they finish with all the teeth and that's done, then they will tackle rebuilding my nose again. Shane is very much a medical case of trial and error. A lot of the operations she's had have been done for the first time in this country on her. She's the willing guinea pig, because if it works, then great. And if it doesn't, then they know how not to do it next time. Like I've said, there's a reason I got through all of that. There's a reason I'm still here. Sometimes when I go in for these operations and stuff, they, they come out and they, they're not successful. Say to the doctor, you know what, if I am meant to go through this and experience this so that the next person that has this operation doesn't go through what I'm going through, then my job is done. Then I know what my purpose is and the next person doesn't have to. So looking forward to that, looking forward to raising funds to be able to walk again, to get my story out there to motivate and inspire other people for them to realise that it doesn't matter what's put in front of you, as long as your mind is positive and you've got positive thoughts, it's amazing what you can do and how you can overcome things and it gives you a different outlook on life. I'm a pretty independent person as it is now. Look, I can't walk around. Um, 
I do need help with certain things, but dressing myself, feeding myself, getting in and out the, the shower, bathing myself, all of that I can do myself, using my cell phone, using my laptop, sending emails, replying to emails, being on social media, all of that stuff I, I do myself because I want to, because I've learned how to, because I've been determined and said I'm not going to get rely on other people for things that I am able to do myself. And if I say to you, um, because my philosophy is can't is not a word, if I say to you I'm unable to do something, it's because I have tried every which way and how I possibly can to do it. And if I'm unable to do it, I'll say, please, will you help me? Because then you know I definitely need help with doing that. Yeah. The only things that I'm not able to do, obviously, is walk around. I don't cook because I am a little bit scared of the stove still, um, being in a wheelchair that, you know, and not having the the full hands and stuff, you know, to get to the back plate and stuff. So my, my husband was always a cook in the house, so he still is the cook in the house. But he does my food. He cuts it up, up very small, and I'm able to feed myself. So there are a few challenges, but everybody, even able-bodied people, have challenges every day, and I think that's what just keeps us going is those little challenges. And once we face the challenges and we – overcome the challenges be like yay I did it and bring on one now trying to find out how we're going to raise funds for for me to be able to walk again the funds I have to raise is just over 1.1 million rand it sounds like a lot but this includes the the hospital stay the operation the rehab the physio all of that that's going to happen after it the the medication all of that stuff that's what that price includes now for me to try and raise the funds for that my cousin thank goodness who is a publicist has got a lot of contacts and we were trying to put our heads together and thinking you know how can we we do this and obviously talking to contacts who spoke to other people they managed to get in contact with the producers of Idol South Africa and uh, Survivor South Africa. They couldn't believe my story and um, how far I'd come and what I was able to do. And they said, yeah, sure. How can we get on board and how can we help this lady get to where she wants to be? They were first talking about maybe doing a reality show. And uh, they put that towards me and I said, you know, listen, my daughter's been through a lot as it is. And I mean, she's only 15 now. A reality show is is quite invasive and quite intense. And I thought maybe that's not the correct way to go. Mm-hmm. So we thought, let's go back to the drawing board and what else can we do? So we decided to come up with a program called The Shan Show, where me not just getting my story out and trying to raise funds for myself, I interview other people that are going through hardships, that are going through difficult times and get their story out. So um, it's not just people that are going through physical disabilities, but the internal disabilities, which are often the, the most traumatizing and traumatic because If you walk past me in the street, you can see I've got a physical disability. You can see I've gone through something. But people that are carrying hurt and and pain deep down inside, you cannot see 
that there's something wrong with them and, you know, realize that, that they're going through hard times. So I've done six episodes, which you can either go and watch on my Facebook page, which is Shan Living Her Life, or you can see it on Alpha Stream SA's YouTube channel, or else it's also streamed on a platform called Platform ZA, which you've got to subscribe to, and uh, it's almost like a, a Netflix for South African patrons overseas. So I did six interviews, including a documentary of what I'd gone through and where I need to be and what I need to do to get there. And I interviewed a gentleman who was born with spina bifida. So he has been a a disabled person his whole life and what what he, he struggles through every day and how he gets through his day. I interviewed a, a lady that's um, at two years old uh, through a freak accident. A water feature fell on her leg and she had to have her leg amputated. So the challenges she's facing. Through a lady that is going through a, an incurable disease called mycemia gravis where her muscles and her nerves and her brain don't all talk together at the same time. So... She can be walking through a shopping centre and all of a sudden she can't walk or she can be talking and all of a sudden she can't talk or eating and she can't swallow. So those are the challenges that she's facing. Another lady that I interviewed is going through lupus and what the challenges are that she faces. My second last interview was my cousin actually, who has gone through very, very bad depression and suicidal thoughts all through bullying. She was bullied at school and, yeah, she's tried many, many attempts at suicide and it was a very last suicidal attempt that she thought, hold on. There's obviously also a reason why she's still here. So she's become a life coach to try and get others through through their hardships. I interviewed a a gentleman that went from being a a meth addict, crystal meth addict, to running marathons and how he kicked the habit by going the athletic route and how he has stayed clean. And he also wrote a book called I Am Costa by Costa Karastrobarkas. We have managed to get a, a bit of funds in it's obviously during COVID times it's very very difficult everybody's going through through hardships but every scene counts and then my cousin also started a, a backer buddy for me where people overseas can also help donate and you can follow my story and the the updates and the all these details either on my Facebook page which is Shan living her life or you can follow me on my Instagram, which is at shan.livinglife, where I give a breakdown of what I've gone through, all the operations, um, motivations, how I've got to where I am, and, you know, the day-to-day living of, of me. The osteointegration that Shannon Lee needs to be able to walk again will not just benefit her. The reason her medical aid is hesitant to fund it is because there is little South African data, but there is a huge amount of international data about the success of the operation, 
and if she gets the procedure done. Again, there will be a case study for future South African amputees to refer to when they're trying to get their procedure approved. So really, just like so much of what Shan is going through, it's so much bigger than her. And she gets that. Shannon Lee Fisser is the epitome of a survivor. She's faced health challenges that would have killed most people. She faced the amputation of her arms and legs to save her life, which also meant she would be relearning everything she has ever done. But her focus was her daughter. If she gave up, what example would she be giving her daughter? After receiving the gift of walking again, she had that taken away from her for a second time. And now, she's trying to make her dream of walking a reality again. I can't speak for the listeners of the show, but I know that I definitely take walking for granted. Heck, I take every movement my body makes for granted. When we talk about dreams... We often think about writing books, buying a house, going overseas. Shannon Lee Fisser just wants to walk. She wants to be able to swing her legs out of bed, just like you did this morning, and stand up. That's it. And you know what? I have no doubt she's going to do just that. I'd like to thank Shannon Lee Fisser for sharing her story with me. I'll be posting all of Shan's links in the show notes and on our social media pages. If you're able to contribute toward her dream of walking again, I urge you to do so. If not, please be sure to share her story so that many more people can hear it. I'll also be including links to more information on septicemia and sepsis, as well as osteointegration on the social media platforms. Try to catch me howling at the I Lived Through This tells the stories of ordinary South Africans who've survived unimaginable situations. If you'd like to share your story of survival, you can head over to our Facebook page and fill in the form, or you can email livedthroughthis at gmail.com. I Lived Through This releases new stories every second week. In between, you can head over to our social media platforms, we're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and join in the conversation with our survivors. Thank you for listening.